This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Morning, everyone. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. Please turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 5. <clears throat> James chapter 5, we're in a series in James. We've been in now for a few months. We have three more messages left here in chapter 5. And today, we're going to be looking closely at verses 7 through 11. So, I'd like you to have a copy of the Bible. If you don't have one to look at while we read and study these verses, raise your hand. And our ushers will give you a free copy of the Bible you can take home with you after being able to follow along today. So, raise your hand, leave them up, and turn with me to. James chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 7. James chapter 5, verse 7. This is God's Word, holy, inspired, inerrant. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. So remain on the path of faith when life is hard in this fallen world. He's compassionate. He's merciful. You can trust Him. Remain on the path of faith when you encounter various trials, when life is hard in this fallen world. The book of James continues to ask us, do you want a wise and good life? Do you want a wise and good life? That's the question. It's a book of wisdom. It 
begins, this book begins and ends with asking this question in the context of trials. Remember chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. According to James, when you experience trials of various kinds, including hard things like what we read about in the first six verses of chapter 5, when, when you're being oppressed by powerful people who defraud you of your wages and then somehow condemn you, when you experience hard things like that, there's a way of wisdom. There's a path of wisdom that leads ultimately to the good life. And actually, these trials are the very means the Lord uses to bring these blessings into your lives. So, steadfastness in trial has an effect. It changes you. You become complete. In chapter 5, here in verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, like Job. Steadfast faith through trials has the effect of changing us and bringing us good in the end. To be blessed just means that God's reviewed our needs. He knows what our needs are even before we ask, but then we ask and He responds by meeting them. He's good. He's merciful. He's generous. This is the message of James. He's compassionate. And when we're experiencing hard times, we ask for wisdom and He gives it to us so we can stay on this path. In fact, He's eager and He's generous. And this is how we respond to trials in this fallen world. Motivated by genuine faith. And we choose the the path that's wise and leads to God's good things in our life. But if we're double-minded, if we're motivated by doubt, unstable in our faith, tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine, there's another path we can choose. This is what James' burden is, which is why he confronts us at times and corrects us. According to James, we know we're on the wrong path when we murder. That is, when we have conflicts and quarrels with brothers and sisters in Christ. We have conflict. Our motivation is selfish desire, selfishness, pride. We, we get critical. We get anxious. We try to escape. We're unhappy. We're discontent. We're bitter. We blame shift. We complain. We quit. We get angry. It's interesting to know Jesus was never angry when He was personally sinned against. When He was abused. He, he didn't get angry. Never angry when He didn't get what He wanted. What's so amazing about Jesus Christ is what we learn about in the Gospels. He only got angry when others' welfare was at stake. Why was that? 
Well, 1 Peter 2 tells us why. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. When he faced trials of various kinds, he stayed on the path because he trusted God. And this is what James 5 is about. Trusting the Lord. Staying on the wise path when times are hard. It's a theme of the letter and the book. Entrust yourself to Him when you hit hard times. A few weeks ago, I was commending a book. A small book about a big problem. Written by Ed Welch. And I mentioned that he was a licensed psychologist. And I love his books. Never met the guy, but I just said, man, would I love to have a weekly meeting with him. I'd love to, I'd love to talk to him. Well, there's some very good friends in our congregation who care about me and called up to CCEF, the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation, where he works. And they said, our, our pastor would love some counsel. He would love to talk to Dr. Welch on the phone. They're probably thinking, Bill needs a psychologist. <laughs> Amen. Well, Dr. Welch was a good sport. And a couple weeks ago, he called me. Uh, he's, he's a very skilled counselor. He's a great listener. He learned who I was. He asked what was hard for me. And in a few minutes, this turned into a session. I had a session with Dr. Welch. It was great. I wish I could do this every week. Hint, hint. Okay? He, he asked me questions. He quickly discerned what would encourage me. I, I was really surprised how helpful the call was. Basically, the phone call said to me, Keep entrusting yourself to God. Keep entrusting, like Jesus did when He had hard times, keep entrusting yourself to God. This is what good counselors do. They remind you that God is the decisive actor and the foundational factor in your Life In the drama of your life, He is the decisive factor. You can trust Him. We can wait on Him. When we hit hard times, we can wait on the Lord and be strengthened in our faith because He's always the decisive actor. He's foundational for how it's going to turn out. But it never feels this way. It never, ever, ever feels this way, especially in the midst of trials. And that's why James, who is a better counselor than Dr. Welch, is going to exhort us today. He's going to command us. Because God is good and He wants us to stay on the path of wisdom.
So today in our text, James says in the midst of trials, we need to know that God has a purpose. He's in control. He's compassionate. He's merciful. Jesus is coming back. God is faithful. We can trust Him. The rains will come. There's going to be a harvest. We're going to be blessed in the end. Be patient. Sometimes we don't feel these truths. So there are three imperative verbs that express commands in our text. And we're going to look at these closely today. This is what enduring faith looks like in the midst of a trial. Be patient. Establish your heart. Do not grumble. Be patient. Establish your heart. Do not grumble. Number one, be patient. Verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers. Therefore is there, because he just talked about the kind of trials they're going through. These oppressive landlords defrauding them of their wages. Be patient, therefore, brothers, in the midst of hard times until the coming of the Lord. So he's introducing the second coming of Christ. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient like the farmer. Wait. Wait. Be patient. Patience is a difficult path. It requires faith. It requires confidence that you won't be put to shame. Confidence that you'll be blessed in the end if you wait. You're going to be glad you chose the wise path. But you have to wait. It requires hope in God's promises. James is filled with promises, isn't it? We're patient because... We believe what He just said in verse 11. God is merciful. God is compassionate. We can hope for a good ending. These these poor folks, they they are not going to resist the oppression of these wicked landlords. They're not going to resist, rise up. They're going to wait. They have one who's coming again, and He is going to vindicate them, and they are entrusting their lives to Him. So they wait. They are patient like the farmer. In the end, this is going to turn out good, and in the midst of this trial, God is going to change you, and you're going to be more like Christ. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. The language here was the language used in the New Testament. The Greek word that indicated the second coming of Christ. When Jesus was on the earth, He said, I'm coming again. And James is exhorting his readers to be patient by reminding them that the resurrected and exalted Christ is coming back, and He's coming back soon And He's not coming back as the suffering servant. He's coming back as the glorious Lord. I love verse 9. The judge is standing at the door. I don't know what happens at your house when someone is at the door. You hear a knock. You hear the bell. 
you know, someone's at the door. I went to my neighbor's house. I won't tell you which next door neighbor the other day. I knocked at the door and I saw panic erupt inside the house. Kids are scurrying. The dad is terrified. I don't know if he was terrified, but panic, ask him. They just don't get many knocks at the door. When someone's at the door, same thing happens in my house. I'm not throwing them under the bus. We all, someone's at the door. James says, Jesus is standing at the door. That affects you when you're in the midst, in the context of a trial. He's at the door. He promised He'd come again and it would be the final day of this age. He's coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's called the day of Jesus Christ. He's standing at the door. If you believe this, you're going to live differently. If you live in the light of this truth that His coming back is imminent. He's standing at the door. It changes the way you live. If you believe that Christ is is standing at the door and He's going to judge you and He's going to reward you, James confronts us throughout this book. He calls us to deal with our sin with great determination. He knows it takes an incredible investment. For example, if we're going to deal with the anger that is a theme of the book, we can't be casual. So he has these themes. Be humble before God. Feel the weight of your sin. Confess your sins to God and to others. And then rest in God and His forgiveness. It's a constant theme. In light of the fact that he's standing at the door. Here's... My psychologist, Ed Welch, here's what he says. When you are dealing with sin, you walk a fine line. You want to be undone by the wrongness of your sin and you want to rest in God's forgiveness. You want to confess murder, in other words, conflicts, adultery, arrogant judgment and pride, and you want to know that your very confession is the work of God's Spirit in you and the consequence of His love. It's a fine line. I keep trying, we keep trying to not assume the Gospel in this series because James does, does assume the Gospel much of this letter. He does communicate the Gospel, but it's a fine line and we want to make sure we always go back and remember The Gospel. The reason we change. The reason we confess sin with joy. It is confession, he says, I love this, with a bit of a smile. Your confession is another way of saying, I need Jesus. In response, He pardons sins and delights to show mercy. Verse 7 talks about the early and late rains. Just like in Tennessee, we have these patterns of weather. 
in Palestine, the area around Jerusalem, they had they still have patterns of weather. And farmers there have to wait for the land to yield its crops. They need the rains. They wait for the autumn rains and they wait for the spring rains. And the growth of the crops depends on these rains. The early rain sets up the groundwater and then the late rain brings the late harvest. If they don't get these rains, if either one of these fail, it's going to be a very bad year. And in the Old Testament, in the law, it became a symbol of God's faithful provision. So for example, in Deuteronomy 11, the Lord says, this is the law of God, if you will indeed obey My commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, He will give the rain for your land in its season. The early rain and the later rain that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. God will provide. This is on James' mind. Every passage in the Old Testament, when this language of early and late rain is used, it's about God's faithfulness to His people. That's what James is talking about. He has this in mind. We want to remember this next week when we talk about prayer. Remember, Elijah prayed and it rained. God is faithful. James probably has Joel 2 in mind. It's, it was a very important Old Testament text. It was a prophetic text talking about the second coming of Christ and God's faithfulness. And he mentions these rains. It's about God's fulfillment of His promises. He, he's promised to come back. He's promised to restore all things. To be faithful to His people who are on the path of wisdom trusting Him. He's promised He's faithful. He gives the reins. So, James says, be patient, brothers. Be patient. The coming of the Lord is near. Verse 10, as an example of suffering, as an example of trials and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. The Old Testament figures who stayed on the path of wisdom. Take them. Look at them as an example. Behold, look! We consider, we think, those blessed who persevered, who remained steadfast, who were patient. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, you've seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. When the Jewish people that heard anything about these Old Testament characters, they always thought of them as martyrs. They suffered. You've read the Old Testament. You know they lived during hard times. They thought about this. And we studied Job a couple years ago. He was a righteous man. And the Lord had blessed him, but Satan comes and gets permission from God to test him with trials. But he still praised the Lord. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His friends were horrible counselors. All they could tell him was, hey, 
Life is going bad for you. You must not be obeying God. You must be a sinner. Now, the readers of Job know that's not true. We know what happened. This really was a righteous man. In fact, the Lord pointed it out as an example. Job perseveres. Job doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes. You always just, as you read through it, you're, you're saying, Lord, tell him. But he never does. But Job perseveres in faith, and in the end, the Lord blesses him. They were blessed in the midst of suffering. They, they encountered temptations towards unbelief. Bad counselors. Confusing counselors. Suffering. Trial. But James draws attention to Job so we'll know. Look what happened in the end. In the end, the Lord restored him and blessed him. One of our pastors, Chris Moore, and his wife Cindy recently learned that Cindy's stepfather has cancer. Her mom, Mary Jean, noticed that Dawn, her husband, was experiencing some pain, physical symptoms. Nobody was too concerned, including his doctors. He didn't complain, but the symptoms grew worse. They recently moved to Knoxville to be near Chris and Cindy, and they found new doctors, and tests continued to be normal. Finally, the the pain just continued to increase to the point that the doctors discovered a kidney infection that led to x-rays, that led to scans, that showed extensive cancer throughout his body. Now the doctors say that the cancer will likely win this battle. Life is hard. We experience trials, various kinds. Often our trials come unexpectedly. That's why if, if right now you're enjoying prosperity, just be aware. All you have to do to suffer is live long enough. James says now's the time to be patient. For Dawn and Mary Jean, now's the time to trust entrust your, your, your lives to a faithful Creator. Pray for wisdom. Pray for the cancer to be healed. Pray for a miracle. Pray for wisdom. God is always the decisive actor. He is the foundational factor. We can trust Him. Never feels this way. Job... These Old Testament saints, Elijah we'll look at next week, they're, they're ordinary people, but they share with us suffering. And they, they become extraordinary examples because of persevering faith. It's not because they have their best life now. It's because they trust the Lord and it's because of their relationship with God. Number two, exhortation. 
command, establish your heart. Verse 8, establish your hearts. What does he mean by that? Well, he means to strengthen your heart or to strengthen your faith. If you're going to stay on this path of wisdom, you need to establish your heart. We're, we're commanded to be patient and we can only do that if we trust the Lord. So he says, be patient. Establish your heart. Strengthen your faith. Waiting, waiting for the Lord is not about God forgetting us, forsaking us, God being unfaithful to His promises. It's actually a chance. Waiting for the Lord in the midst of trial is a chance to consider His glory and grow stronger in faith. Adversity is the Lord training us. It's not just the time to hope that things change or things will be different in the end. It's a time to grow. That's what God is doing. He has a good purpose. He has a good purpose, and it's very hard for us to see. And that's why God has given us His Word today to impart faith to us so that we can trust Him. He is doing something good. When we remain steadfast in a trial, God works to change us. We have a choice. Will we question God's goodness? Will we grow weaker in faith? Or will we embrace this adversity as an opportunity for our faith to grow stronger? Don't be surprised. Don't be discouraged when you recognize that your faith is weak in the midst of a trial. God has brought this trial so that you can grow stronger. He wants you to see, oh, my faith is weak. And now, by the grace of God, he will make our faith grow stronger. Thank God for weakness. Boast about your weakness because when you are weak, then He is strong. Last week, I had the joy to go to Montana, go fishing with some friends, and we went hiking in Yellowstone National Park. We went on a very long hike, in my personal opinion. Ten miles with my friends, Wes and Charles, carrying in food, water, fishing equipment, protection from grizzly bears. We did see one. For me, these guys were going at a brisk jog. No breaks unless I begged and then they were disgusted with me. These two friends are both 10 years older than I am. These guys are almost 70 years old. I couldn't keep up with them. I realized at one point, I'm the weak link here. It was good to come home and see Chuck and Andy and Pat, and then I realized, well, I'm not that bad. You know, I could be worse. Those guys would have never made it. So, But I realized on my hiking trial, I... I have some weakness I can deal with. I need to establish myself physically. <laughs> I can grow here so that when I'm out with 70-year-olds, I'm not the weak link anymore. I want to be able to keep up with them. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Establish your 
heart. One reason for the joy is it's a starting point. It reveals our weakness and we can grow. We see our faith is weak. Now we establish our heart. It isn't automatic. That's why we need this exhortation. It doesn't just happen. Just go through the trial and you grow stronger in faith. It does not happen like that. And that's why James is a good counselor, a good pastor, a loving brother in Christ to exhort us and command us and challenge us. It's, it's so easy to doubt when you are being called to persevere in the midst of adversity. It's easy to weaken your faith. Waiting, being patient, can be a time where weakness increases. So James says, establish your heart. Don't weaken your faith while you're waiting patiently for the Lord's good, merciful, compassionate purposes. Strengthen your faith. One of the things you can do, verse 11, consider Job. Think about Job. Think about these Old Testament saints who stayed on the path of wisdom. What happened? Think about that. It's in God's Word. Meditate on it. Consider it. For example, Joseph, his brothers tried to kill him. Remember when miraculously God's good purposes came through and you saw God was at work the whole time. His own brothers tried to kill Joseph. Genesis 50, verse 20, which is the Romans 28 of the Old Testament. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Establish your heart. Meditate on that verse. Think about that trial. Read about Joseph. Consider that. Don't give in to doubt. You're going to be Challenge. You're going to be tempted to question God's wisdom, God's goodness. Yeah, but Bill, His love. Don't give way to anger. When you're, when you're having conflicts with your oppressors, difficult people, don't give way to anger. It's, a, it's an expression of anger towards God because God is in control of those people. Don't give way to discouragement. Don't give in to feelings that say your life is out of control. Fight against worry. Fight against fear. Don't meditate on these dark thoughts of the future. It's unbelief. Resist them. That's the wrong path. Doubt, anger, discouragement, envy. They, they destroy our motivation to trust the Lord. This adversity, according to God's Word, is something He's brought in your life. And He has brought it in there for good. Only good. Looks like evil. Looks bad. But it's for good according to His Word. He wants to strengthen you. Establish your heart. He is working to transform us. He's doing more than bring good in the end. He's changing us now into the image of Christ. We're going to be different. He's making us like His Son. So what do we do? We spiritually exercise. If I want to keep up with my 70-year-old friends, 
I think I'm going to have to lose five pounds. I think I'm going to have to do more running. I don't know what these guys eat, but I've got to find out and eat that. What do we do spiritually if we want to establish our heart? We study His Word. We fellowship with believers. We look for God's glory in creation. We listen to preaching of God's Word. We meditate on the goodness of God. We consider these Old Testament saints. We read books, Christian books, by authors that impart faith and stir our faith. We spend time in prayer. And when we do this, we establish our heart. We grow spiritually strong. Number three, the last exhortation, don't grumble. Verse 9, do not grumble. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Again, he's concerned about the relationships in the church. We've seen this before. To grumble against others, to complain about other people, is a form of judging people. And there's only one judge. And he's standing at the door. And you do not want to be guilty of judging others. Because you are not the judge. I am not the judge. And to grumble and complain about other people, difficult people. is a form of judging others. We, we, we hear Jesus in the background saying, judge not lest you be judged. James was his stepbrother. Remember in chapter 4 of James, verse 11, don't speak evil against one another brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. I mean, he's repeating himself again and again about the tongue. It's a little spark that causes a giant forest fire. Sins of the tongue. Grumbling is the opposite of patience. To mark, it's a wrong path. To mark of unbelief, contrary to genuine faith, your talk, your grumbling reveals your heart We want a trial-free life. Doesn't take much to spoil our day. We grumble. But now we're looking at James as seeing these trials as one of the main tools God is using in your and my life to make us like Christ. We shouldn't grumble. He is the one that has brought Hard times. He may have brought them through a person, but ultimately, He brings them. Because He knows ultimately, a life without trials is going to degenerate into a person who doesn't recognize their need for God. Adversity is a blessing. Because it will make you say, Jesus, I, I need You. 
Prosperity is actually a much more difficult test than adversity. God is turning grumblers into people who give thanks when He brings adversity. Trials are times when His grace is with me. I, I can, I've had times over the years studying this where I've just gone, Lord, bring more adversity in my life. And then I think, no, 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 no. I take that back. But there is a moment where you get it. There's, there's hope in these trials because He's behind them. I don't understand what's going on. I don't have the wisdom. And I cry out to Him. I don't have the strength. But I can do all things through Christ. He strengthens me. He's with me. Grumbling always blames someone else. It's, it's one another. Someone else is at fault. It's my friend. It's my sibling. It's my spouse. It's my pastor. It's my church. That's the problem. It's my employer. Grumbling destroys these relationships. It rejects ministry from others. Doesn't want to hear the truth. Doesn't want to be helped. Doesn't want to be comforted. Forgets about grace. Grumbling wants to be strong. It wants to be in control. But what we have to learn is this agenda wasn't planned by us. It was planned by the Lord. And, and grumbling is ultimately questioning the Lord. Again, in the law in Deuteronomy, the Lord said to the Israelites, you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, He has brought us out of the land of Egypt. That's why He brought us out, because He hated us. To give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. That's not true. That's grumbling. And the judge is standing at the door. Another very good Counselor is Paul Tripp. Listen to what he says about grumbling. Grumbling is the background drone of a discontent heart. We can often have a big sin or big problem focus. Drug addiction, immorality, suicide threats, a disintegrating or violent marriage. Those are, quote, big. But how often do we miss the presence of little sins? The drip, drip, drip of grumbling and complaining. Why does a marriage go on the rocks? Why does life seem hopeless and miserable? Pause for a moment in your life. Listen for grumbling, complaining, fault finding, blame shifting. Why does adultery seem so alluring? Why get drunk? In each case, a lifestyle of grumbling may wrap around the more visible problem that attracts all the attention. Grumbling may seem minor, but not to James. Remain on the path. Trust yourself to God. He's compassionate. He's merciful. We can obey these by the grace of God. We can remain on the path. Can we, just as we conclude, let's review the Gospel just for a minute. This is why Let's not assume the Gospel. The good news that Christ died for our sins. Let's think about 
quitting. Let's think about lacking patience. Let's think about weakness of faith. And remember, Christ died for our sins. Remember the grace of God before we leave today. Let's not be thinking, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to be patient. I'm going to establish my heart. I'm not going to grumble, man. Look out if you're that guy's friend. We need the Gospel. We need grace. Let's preach the Gospel to ourselves every day and remind ourselves Christ is at work. These exhortations are rooted in the good news that He's come to change us. Jesus refused to grumble. Isaiah 53.7 He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so He opened not His mouth. And He did it for us. He refused to grumble so that in our grumbling, there would be forgiveness. Praise the Lord that He didn't grumble. Praise the Lord that He willingly went to the cross silently without grumbling for us. It's our hope. That's the Gospel. We establish our hearts in the hope of the grace of God that comes to us because of the Gospel. He forgives me today for my grumbling. Thank You, Lord. He delivers me. He restores me. He provides me everything I need. God is already now in Christ 100% for us. Perseverance, steadfastness, isn't the means by which we get God to be for us. It's the effect of the fact that He's already for us. You can't make God be for you by your good works. Your good works, true Christian good works, are the fruit of Him already being for you because of Christ. Lord, thank You for this letter. Change us, Lord, and let us shine like stars in the universe because we're not grumbling and complaining, but we're worshiping You patiently, waiting on You, living in the light of the fact, Lord, that You are coming again. In fact, You are standing at the door. And let that change the way we live this week. Strengthen us, establish us. Oh Lord, I pray especially for every person in this room experiencing trials and hardship and difficulty. I pray today for Dawn and Mary Jean, Lord. Every person experiencing trials is here today in the providence of God, because I believe, Lord, You wanted to speak to them. And I pray they'd hear Your voice today and know that You're watching, that You're near, that You care, that You haven't forgotten, that You have a good purpose. Bless them today, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, 
visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.